Welcome back, imposters, to episode 27, season two of the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater, your host with still very little idea of what the heck I am doing, but I suppose that makes me qualified according to my own standards to be here, eh? Yeah, I think so. We are just one step at a time with this thing, but it's a whirlwind of fun and I'm having a great time being in your ears every Thursday. So thank you so much for lending me those ears and being here with me today. In this episode, I chat with Jesse Butts, who is a podcast founder, and he does this a little bit better than I do. Even though we have around the same amount of episodes, I believe he has about 30. He just wrapped his season two. There's tons of content for you to gobble up in more bite-sized pieces, 30-ish, 40 minutes, which I love inspirational. I don't know how he gets the content down to that, but it's an awesome listen. We'll get heavily into that. And he's also a content marketing consultant at the senior director level. So his growth in his content marketing career is a little bit of more organic, work hard, have a direction type stuff that I hope you can really glean some serious practical ideas from for your own growth. Not only if you want to get into the content marketing, but really for any career path, especially in the corporate world. On his podcast, he chats with folks who have advanced liberal arts degrees but are stretching into careers and fields not related to their degrees, which is something we eat the heck up over here. Stretch babes, stretch and go after your heart's desires. So a reminder that this coming Tuesday, August 30th, will be the first listener episode where myself and an esteemed guest will discuss a concept or question or story that you, a listener, presents as well as a bit about the guest's own experience with not being qualified and doing the shit anyway. So we do still get into that. Please give it a listen. I can't wait for it. It's something new in season two where it's last Tuesday of every month. And that's a bonus episode because I'm still with you every Thursday for this season, which is 10 episodes long. So This episode with Jesse is the second episode of season two. If you are interested in being a part of that listener episode, please submit your stories, your questions, your philosophical content. I'm Art, new age philosophy major. Excited to live with you and laugh with you and cry with you. To ynqpod at gmail.com. Or send me a DM on Instagram. I'm found at YNQPod. I absolutely love hearing from you. I love engaging with you. And it's incredibly special when people from your way distant path, when I'm like, when you're basically like a different person, get in touch with you and they're like, oh my God, I have this idea or have this concept that happened and I like thought about it deeply or have this question. I love that. Sometimes the world is just like that, where an idea springs up and then people contribute and I haven't heard from you in so long. How are you? Like, how is your life? This is so cool that like some like creative outlets and everything can bring people together like that. Please get in touch with me and I will read your question, content, 
philosophical ideas on the following Tuesday, the following end of month Tuesday, that is. I love hearing from you and I can't wait to get inside your brains, but right now let's go inside the brain of Jesse. You ready? Let's go. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Thank you so much to Jesse Butts for joining us today at the You're Not Qualified podcast. Not the headquarter, you're not here, but thank you for joining for the podcast. Jesse Butts is host of the Work Seminar podcast and content marketing consultant. We'll get into what both of those are about and mean as we chat, but I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, Courtney. Thank you for inviting me on. I love to start with basically getting down to your words, why you're not qualified to be doing what you're doing. You're, I guess, traditionally unqualified on the two fronts, the content marketing career that you have and your podcast. So let's get into those two aspects. Yeah, great question. I appreciate getting right into it. So let me start with the career fronts, if that's okay. Yeah, so on that side, I've just a little brief. So I've been a content marketing consulting for about four years. I struck out on my own in January, 2019. Part of the reason I consider myself unqualified is that I actually, before that, I was never a full-time content marketing director. I had been in peripheral functions like digital strategy where content was involved or internal communications. I had progressed into leadership roles like the specialist manager, senior manager, director over different, over a number of years, over different employers. But I, for the six years previous to that, I had actually not been in a marketing department. I had been in corporate communications and there it reported to human resources. So they didn't look at things from a marketing lens and I didn't, so I didn't have that role. I I really just frankly didn't exist at the employer that I was at before I struck out on my own. So that was, that's why I consider myself unqualified for that. Now, I actually did contract with a company about a year into being solo and I was their interim head of content for a year. So that has changed since then. But when I did start this, I knew the theory. I read everything. I listened to everything. I read so many books but I also wasn't able to put a lot of it into a practice. So I couldn't go and say, hey, I've helped five clients go from X to Z. I had to really talk about the things that I had done previously that were tangential, but not direct, which is always a bit of a hard sell at first. But over Mm -hmm. time, I didn't let that not qualifying stop me. And I'm so glad I did not because I've really enjoyed a lot of the work I've been able to do. It's all about that transferable experience. You got to highlight it. Exactly. So on the other side, I have a podcast called The Work Seminar. And that podcast is for people with liberal arts advanced degrees, MFAs, PhDs, who are considering work outside of their field of study. So in that show, I talk to people who've done that, who have an advanced degree. I've talked to people with a wide variety of disciplines doing a wide variety of jobs. And there, I am not a coach. I have no coaching certification, no career coaching certification. I'm also not a podcast person. I just decided, I shouldn't say I just decided, I put thought into it, but I decided 
I want to start a podcast. How do I do it? I don't have audio engineering, broadcast journalism background. And I really wanted to figure out how I could do this and how I could chat with smart people and hopefully help some listeners along the way. I also, I do have a master's. I don't have a PhD, but I never entertained a career in academia. I've never taught a class in my life, at least in an academic setting. So I have been talking to people who are adjuncts or actually some are full-time professors who are struggling with academia or with their discipline and wanting to get out. And I don't have that story of, yeah, I did the Mm -hmm. adjunct thing for five years or I was tenure track. I don't have any of that. What I do have is that grad school experience and a degree where obviously I don't have a master's in content marketing. I have a master's in writing and publishing, which I like to call an MFA light. It was very similar to an MFA program in creative writing. Actually, you could go like kind of a professional route, creative route, even more of a rhetoric route if you chose. But I went more of that creative route. And it was an MFA structure without thesis project. Mm -hmm. But I didn't let that stop me. And I know there are plenty of people both who have the academic experience, who have studied some audio engineering and things. But at the end of the day, I didn't see anybody doing this specific niche. So in a sense, first come, first serve. But if it wasn't like there were people who have the experience doing it, and even though I felt a bit unqualified. I'm 30 episodes in and I'm so, again, like my career, I'm so glad that I did because it's really brought me a lot of joy. It's really something that I love doing and I hope to keep doing for quite a while to come. I love the story. It's, there's so many parallels we have to each other, Jesse. And it's like unnerving in that (laughs) I also started this podcast, no background in any of it because I found the niche and I loved the topic and I started it and I was like, I think I love this. I'm going to keep going. And obviously you learn how to do it as you go, but it's not like going to school for it where you have it all in your pocket already. Yeah, definitely. And a small aside, For anyone who is thinking about starting a podcast, do it. But a lot of, I don't know if you've experienced this, but a lot of people tell me, I heard your most recent run and I'm going to start with the first. And to me, that's so embarrassing. I had no idea what I was doing with my first episode. So if you are impressed with someone's episodes, yeah, feel free to explore a back catalog. But our most recent 5, 10, 15 are a much better representation of where we are now. So if you get to that first one, and the audio is off and we seem a little awkward. That's because we're learning. We weren't qualified and we didn't let us stop us. Yeah, I do feel a little awkward still sometimes. It is, it's a skill that you have to learn over video to know when somebody's done speaking and mm-hmm. not let the leg go on too long or the awkward silence. And there's lots of little, little weird details like that that I'm still figuring out. But no, I think, yeah, we're doing great. Look at us. We're, <laughs> we're well into go. it. And you're on season two too as well. I just wrapped up season two at the end of July. So I'll be starting season three early fall. Oh, fun. I'm excited. I have one question about what you just talked about, and then I'd love to get more into the roadblocks that you faced. But you mentioned that people come on your podcast who are those advanced degree and they are almost stuck. Are they 
stuck looking for a change in their career because they feel like there's no path for them still? Or what's going on there? Great question. My guests, I don't want to say they've figured it out. We're always learning. And some of them have even started different careers since I've interviewed them. But they've gone through that transition to a different career already. They they aren't stuck now. They have been in the past. The reasons vary. Some are what you would expect, like I was mentioning, where there were just no tenure track jobs. And the thing that they held very dear, it was just simply unattainable. So they had to really do a lot of assessment, really think about their identity and find a way to move forward. Some other others never entertained the, the academic route. They were full-time. And I don't mean that like full-time at a job. They were musicians or, or things like that. Some of them were not thrilled with the business realities of that. Some of them just lost the passion along the way. So a lot of people get stuck for very different reasons, but there are common ones too. People want to start a family. People want to move somewhere more affordable. So there's, I don't want to say as much, but there's certainly the impulse to change a lifestyle as much as there might be the dissatisfaction with whatever they're doing. I see. Okay. That's bold. (laughs) I have a BA, but I feel like the more schooling that I would get, I'm like, what if I change my mind? That's just so much money. Yeah. It's money effort. What I have noticed the guests with masters, some of them do, it it hits harder, but it's really the PhDs who have a much rougher path Mm. in terms of dealing with the identity struggle and the reality that there just aren't the jobs. They, they just can't do adjuncting indefinitely and something's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's life too. I suppose you just got to keep moving forward no matter the situation. So in your career growth to becoming a content marketing consultant, you did talk a little bit about the trajectory that you had. You worked your way up a bit. You had some impressive leaps. What roadblocks did you face in terms of getting to where you were, you are? Yeah. So I'm going to try to condense about a 15 or 20 year career (laughs) as much as possible. Shortly after college, probably a year or two after college is when I landed my first marketing role. So let's say that's late 2007. From about then until late 2012, I stayed in the marketing realm, or at least very close. I worked in marketing departments at a few different companies. And part of that was just being in my twenties and it's very common to move jobs every year or two at that stage of life. It was also so that it was, I was laid off during the very beginning of the great recession around Thanksgiving, 2008, when it felt like everybody was. So there was economic uncertainty and not a lot of companies were doing well. So that did prompt a lot of us to move around every couple years, even more so than just the normalities of youth, so to speak. So then At the end of 2012, I took a job where I was going to get a promotion to manager and it was, gosh, I can't remember the exact title. It was something like global 
Global Marketing and Communications Digital Manager. So it sounded like that's a pretty nifty title. And what it was managing the internet for this medical device company, it was about 6,000 employees at the time. And I was, I remember as I was making this decision, I thought, so this isn't in marketing, this is in corporate communications, but I think it would be a good step in my career because I could own something, I could say, which I hadn't previously done. I'd been involved in God knows how many website relaunches and produced plenty of work, but I couldn't point to say to something and say, I own this, I'm responsible, I grew it, so forth. So I took that job and one of the things uh, is a small aside to, for listeners to consider is that was a, a big reason for taking that job. The other is that I was really looking for a manager who would be a mentor to me. And I was very impressed with the person who was hiring me. And I thought he had worked in marketing departments, very sharp guy. He, I really got a sense that he would be a great coach. He would be a great mentor. So I was really excited about that. A little too much because he left two months after I started. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. So just a, a cautionary, you should always like your hiring manager, but there should be more to the job and company than that person because we all have free will and we leave things yep. or we get fired sometimes. Luckily, I've never had that happen to me, but it unfortunately does get more common with people who are higher up that really arguably doesn't have to do with their job performance. Things just get so political. Yeah. But anyway, so at that two month point, he left. Then literally four days later, the vice president was laid off. So there was a big shakeup mm -hmm. and I was still responsible for the internet, but then I essentially became like an internal communications manager. I was sending internal emails that really became the primary thrust of my job for the first couple of years and just doing pretty minimal work to the internet. So that was the roadblock is that it seemed early on like the, they would probably move under marketing and then I could do external digital or learn things from marketing. And because of that reorgan things, that didn't happen. I stayed there too long to move back to a marketing department. If I had stayed there for a year or two, it could probably explain, this was an interesting experience, but I really missed marketing. Now, it was just a point in my life where I had jumped around so much. I really just wanted to stay and the pay was good. When it got to year three or four, and I was, I knew something had to change because of these roadblocks where I couldn't do content marketing. I couldn't do digital marketing, these things that I want to do in my career. I was pretty stuck. I did eventually build a new internet, but I was still doing a ton of internal emails, which I didn't like, and I didn't feel like I was learning. So I, when I was testing the waters, the feedback I got back was like, you're pretty far removed from marketing. I applied a few places and didn't get it. So at that point I realized, Hey, I've got to figure out how to move around here. And honestly, one of the roadblocks I had was self-constructed because I didn't really share my desires much with management. I was still of the mindset, like that's not my job. So they're going to scoff. And about year four or five is when I did, I was talking about to my boss who led the external websites, which were not in marketing, but it was closer. 
And I said I wanted to move to his team and it took a decent amount of jockeying and he was working on a job description and I felt like he was dragging his feet. And then one day he said, can we go to lunch? And I said, sure. And he said, I'm leaving and I'm recommending you for my job. I really wanted to hone in here for just a moment. This is becoming the climax of Jesse's story because he is getting offered this really awesome position. But the cautionary tale before that is really important to hone into. The experience that Jesse was getting was not his desired career path, digital or content marketing. He was becoming far removed from it, as he said, and he was just being led down this path that was beneficial for the company at the time. Probably no bad blood there, but they absolutely needed that role to be filled and he was very good at it and he was very good at getting shit done. So they were like, let's keep at this when he was getting far and far removed from exactly what he came there for, the leader that he wanted to be a mentor and what he came there for to develop his preferred career. I want to stress this as hard as I can from somebody who has done the same exact thing where I entered a job and I had, honestly, I had less of an idea of what I wanted to do at the time than what Jesse had. He had very specific career goals and I had career goals that were around product-esque and tech-esque, but I would get led down paths where it was just necessary for the business. It was necessary for the growth of the team and my extracurricular learnings which would get me closer to the career path that I had desired, e product or i.e. ownership in some way in the tech space outside of a customer service role. It was not prioritized because it was not aligned to the business needs at the time. Very literally, I was told that in one position I was in, I wanted to learn SQL at the time and wanted to be able to practice it more in the setting of my job, given problems to solve with SQL. And my manager at the time said, it doesn't align to the business needs at the time, so we cannot dedicate time to this. That is, should have been the warning to me. Ah, shit. Okay get back on the path that is meant for you. We get into this a little bit more farther in the episode where from that business standpoint, that is absolutely okay for them to say, hey, this is not aligned to the business needs of the company right now. So we cannot invest in you learning this extra thing. Great, fine. I did not take it upon myself to learn it on my own. I didn't feel like I could, the concept I was trying to get into, but that could have been a signal to me at the time that, oh, this is taking me away from my career growth, from my career goals, and I should probably figure out how to redirect it in a way that does meet the business goals and also does meet my career goals, or maybe even leave. So it was also on me and hoping that learning can also help you. All of this to say, do not be afraid to step up and say, hey, I am also in this for the equal 
beneficiary role of I need to be benefited from the role I'm in and I want to also benefit the company, obviously. Like we have some stake in the success of the company. We care about it. We do. But we also care about our own personal career growth. You need to find a middle ground and you are more than welcome. You are encouraged to advocate for yourself and what you need to grow your personal business, to grow where you personally need to go to align with your career trajectory. Just don't lose sight of that. Find the North Star. Talked about this a lot on this podcast. Find the North Star of really your heart's desire in terms of career goal. Do not lose sight of that. Build up to that and defend that. Go to bat for that. Don't let it go by the wayside because it doesn't align to a business need. It's so important to advocate for yourself. And this is absolutely your sign to advocate for yourself. So I got that. So that was another great step in the right direction. So I became the director of digital strategies. So I was responsible for the company's external facing websites. I worked with a lot of marketing teams, but again, it just seemed I wasn't getting the projects that I needed. We were pretty far behind in terms of digital and especially content. So I tried lobbying for different content positions, creating a function. And at this point I had been there five going on six years. Wow. And I started thinking, you know, this has been a good run, but I think now that I have this title, I can parlay it into something else. So I decided I've, and part of the thing that listeners might not realize too, is when you're at an employer for a long time, you become the person for everything that happened in the past. Like, and what I mean by that is that you're this source of knowledge and it can be hard to do your job because you're brought into so many things because you have historical knowledge or these things that only happen once every year or two. So you're just automatically in that. So that is, is just something to be aware of as you start to stay with employers longer, especially you know, for people in tech where there's a lot of oh, people yeah. who stay two or three years. If you hit that four-year mark, you're in a position where you are brought into to many different things. So That was becoming a bit frustrating, but it was also pretty clear this, there needs a, there's a ton of digital projects and we don't have the resources. So it didn't really seem like it would be a great next couple of years. I had already worked under resource in previous positions and I just didn't feel like I had it in me. And two, it was pretty clear the lobbying that I would have to do. It was just not the battle I was willing to fight. And so at that point is when I said, I know all these things, I've done it. I just have to put myself out there and start my own thing. And I know I haven't had these titles, but it's what I want to do. It's not rocket science. When people talk to me, they see that I know what I'm talking about. They see, I point out things to improve, not like in a snarky way, but hey, if we change this and actually actionable ways. My wife was incredibly supportive. We were pretty good savers. So 
I said, financially, we seem fine. She had a full-time job. She has insurance. She still does. She was very supportive. I know you've been there a long time and I know you've tried. It seems you're not just cutting and running that you've really thought this through. Yeah, I left in... Gosh, that must have been November 2018 and decided I, you were talking about roadblocks and that's when I decided, you know, I guess it's time that I remove the biggest roadblock, Mm -hmm. which is being in this position where I can't do what I think I'd be best suited for. I love the self-imposed roadblock story so much. I... (laughs) There is so much value. And I think that definitely need to restate what you said about being so long at a company, you don't get as much work done because you are this like tribal knowledge gatherer. I 100% cannot back that enough. And I also will add that not only will you be like inundated with questions all of the time, you will also hinder your most likely monetary growth escalation if you don't leave. Like I 100% understand I was at a startup for five years. We went from like 75 people to over 600 in the time I was there and I loved it. I drank the Kool-Aid every day. I loved it so much, but when I left, my income more than doubled with no effort, like barely any effort. And I was like, hold on. I've been like actually taking free Skittles and pennies for this long when I could have been just accelerating my career. And I will say that is a roadblock in itself that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. It took me a while after I left to realize the agency that I had left on the table. I didn't actually have qualms with the compensation. I've had some lucrative gigs since then, but it wasn't like, so at the end of 2018, what they were paying me is like chump change compared to a director today because the great resignation inflation. But at the time it was competitive and it just for listeners too, it, it shouldn't all be monetary. Either. Yeah, that's true. But like yeah. also challenge yourself learn new companies, learn new skills. One, yeah. And one thing I, to to extend the person who everyone goes to is when you are somewhere and you switch roles, your training, your replacement, people are still coming to you with requests from your old job. You're trying to do your new job. I'm not saying don't get promoted or switch departments at a company at all, but I'm saying, I wish I had a clearer plan. Okay. I can offer 30, 60 days of support. Then I just forward emails to, uh-huh. to the new person or, and sometimes too, as you change roles, your previous boss or something like that may say, we just need to change this process. And people might not like that. You give in once you, you open the floodgates. So yeah, there's so much, even work politics aside with staying in place a long time and changing departments that isn't listed on a job description, but it's just so much ancillary work for lack of a better term or work ancillary work to what you should be doing might be a way to put it. Yeah. And it like, it makes you a limited sponge of knowledge growth. Like you can only fill up so much and then you need to, you need to do something else, but yeah. The, this is a good segue into actually finding and trying to find those new jobs. So a big part of that is your job description. And if you are trying to make a leap to something, 
that you feel like you might not be qualified for. You also have to contend with those higher managers and those recruiters who are looking for the very specific background, give it educational, give it past performance and like what you were actually doing in your role. What is your advice for people who see these job descriptions that are just not what that's it's not linked up to what they actually have, but they still want to do it. So first, as far as not applying or feeling unqualified, don't let that stop you would be my first piece of advice. Everybody from job seekers to hiring managers to HR, everybody knows and complains about how overwrought and unrealistic these job descriptions are but it never stops. I do keep up with these and I see them and I see some employers are getting a little bit better, but it just seems like this problem everybody acknowledges, but everybody ignores. They have endless bullet points for responsibility. The qualifications are just as long. You're not alone, but they're looking for the perfect candidate and the odds are infinitesimal that person actually exists. The other thing I would say to your point about recruiters, I would say don't apply. And what I mean by that, I really should say don't just apply. Ah. Recruiters are tough to get through. And a lot of them, the level of recruiters varies quite a bit, but a lot of recruiters just have this checklist of, do you know this software? Have you done this analysis? Like whatever. And they're not really there to hear this nuance or narrative a lot of the time. So when they present to the hiring manager, they're not going to capture how the thing that you did was so related or or whatever. So instead of just relying on applying online and hoping a recruiter contacts you, I would find someone who works there and try to start a discussion. Ideally, that would be the hiring manager. That can be difficult to find, but really anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, but somebody in the department that you're looking at or close to it, who you can just say, hey, I'm interested in this company for this position. I would just love to chat for 15 or 20 minutes about the company, what you're doing there. That is a much better way to go. It takes more time, but it does help you bypass the recruiter. That person might introduce you to the hiring manager, or they might forward something on to the hiring manager, the recruiter saying, hey, I just talked to Jesse. Seems like a really sharp guy. That actually has a lot of sway because hiring managers and recruiters are the first to admit they're inundated. They get so many applications that it's almost like, of course, they're going to choose the ones that fit the mold because they're this. it's not like hiring managers do this full time. It's great to empathize with hiring managers. The person who has this job posted, they probably wrote that job description at 10 o'clock at night. They're probably right now doing one and a half, one and three quarters jobs because they have a vacancy. They're trying to fit in interviews in whatever 45 minute window they can possibly cancel a meeting for. And they're looking through the resumes and the hiring notes again, probably at nine at night. So be empathetic to to the reality of these people. It's not like they get to take two weeks off and just devote themselves to finding the perfect candidate. So that's why Unfortunately, you have to put that extra effort in. Yeah. Um, And then I would say to make sure that resume and cover letter are tailored to the biggest points in the job description. 
Usually those are in the intro paragraphs or the first few bullets. If you're applying for something at the manager level, you might be managing the day-to-day, but the real thing they need is someone to like get the program growing or to streamline things and hit on that. It's much harder to find someone who can really own something versus someone who can just do the day-to-day things. So I wouldn't emphasize that as much, for example, if I were looking for a manager position. Yeah, but I think those are the best things I've seen for applying to jobs that you're quote-unquote unqualified for. Yeah. Use LinkedIn to your advantage. Find people that are doing the job at the company and get a call and offer to buy them a coffee or a beer. Yeah. And I think post-COVID too, so many people are willing to hop on Zoom for 20 minutes and so many people are applying for remote positions. It's always great to meet in person, but I think five years ago it was, oh, you really shouldn't have a call. It has to be in person. And I think that's out the window at this point. Always great, but certainly not necessary. I agree. A lot like going into the office. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You are pretty high up on the spectrum here of career trajectory as a director. So somebody who's been a director and led contact teams, I assume that you have done hiring and getting honestly your honest opinion, honestly, can't say that, I'll say it one more time, honestly, <laughs> what makes someone a compelling interviewee or a potential employee when they have minimal qualifications? Do you really give them the time of day? Great question. I do. And the thing to realize about hiring managers is like everybody, they have their bias. So if they came up unqualified they're likely much more open. If they didn't, it might be a little harder. So before I talk about my thing, like if you can get a sense of the hiring manager and what it seems they really care about, that, that's your best bet to make your case versus just going off the job description. Good point. For me, I really value intellectual curiosity And I'm really impressed when someone's asking really good questions and they have like a curious demeanor. Again, like I realize this is my bias and I try to temper it. I don't feel like it's something that is bad. Maybe sometimes I overemphasis, overemphasize it, excuse me. So this can be a little different. If you're applying for something that might be a specialist role, If you're asking questions that are more tactical about how do we get this thing done or what do you do in this situation or are you expecting something like this? First, someone's going to be a manager under me. I'm expecting more strategic questions like why are we serving this audience? How are we measuring success? Those are the type of things that say, okay, this seems like somebody who is approaching this pretty open-minded and they're not just a checklist employee. The other thing that I've noticed too, when I'm talking to people is, again, if they can talk about how they've owned something, that's very impressive to me. Volunteer experience, a double-edged sword and transferable skills. Frankly, a lot of hiring managers are like, why would I take someone with transferable skills when I can take someone with direct skills? It's a hard question to yeah. answer, yeah. but if, if you're applying for, say, a content writer position and maybe you haven't had that direct experience in a role, but if you're talking about a volunteer thing where I wrote the website and I looked at the analytics and I saw that this was bad, so I changed it, I'm like, wow, this is somebody who, who gets it. 
versus if you're like, I like to volunteer and I walk dogs two nights a week. That's very admirable. It's showing that you care about something, but it's not really that applicable. Also for me too, the managers are, are so busy and directors more so VPs, et cetera. If you can show that you're pretty self-reliant, but you understand the value of collaboration, I think that's very valuable to any hiring manager. Again, that's my bias as a hiring manager. I totally admit I'm like this. I like to own things and solve things. But I also know that my work is better in a lot of instances when I get more input or when we talk to a team about how to solve a problem because they have so many perspectives. I find that very valuable too. Probably, I might, I probably should have led with this, but someone showing that they take initiative to learn outside of work. And again, maybe that's like writing the content for that website, for the place you volunteer at. Maybe that's taking some online courses. Maybe that's, I've talked to 20 people about this. If you can show that you have that interest and passion and you don't expect your employer to teach you everything. And I realize that might sound weird, but there's limited resources and we live in a pretty lean society or lean work environment where Mm -hmm. people just don't have the time for, people can mentor, but they can't sit you down and walk you through every problem or every piece of software. They're going to expect that initiative. And sometimes that does occur outside of working hours. You, if you do want that promotion, it's a pretty hard to tell a boss, like, I'm going to keep doing my job, but I expect to only do it for 30 hours because I want to spend 10 learning. That's probably not going to happen. Maybe you have a boss that can somehow arrange that. But if you are serious about moving somewhere, you should have that expectation of doing some learning on your own. So when people talk to me about that, who aren't qualified, but have done that, those extracurriculars, that's very impressive Mm -hmm. to me as well as a hire manager. Yes, yes, yes. I 100% agree with all of that. And I can't, can't stress enough that you can't teach curiosity. You can't like train curiosity into somebody, but you can train them how to use the program that you use. So if you're looking for a hire, if they are asking those questions and they're engaged and they seem to think outside of the box, then that's so valuable. And I also agree on the time commitment for wanting to get things done. It's it's something that I contend with being a millennial, but it's like, I work so much, but I also really want to do good at my job. So there's, you have to have that trade-off of learning outside of your 40 hours. Yeah. And for so many small things, it's less time to just Google it than to find somebody to ask, honestly. And oh, yes. Google is people, my best friend. <laughs> when people, or YouTube or whatever, like when people come to me with Googleable questions, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a red flag. So definitely avoid any perception that you're going to be that type of employee in an interview or when you're talking to hiring managers. Yeah. I'll just send them the website. Let me Google that for you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that still works. I, I actually was just thinking, I wonder that too. I'll have to look. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> it was a great one. And before you do, let me just Google that for you. If that still exists, it does. Let me Google that.com. Let's talk a little bit more about your podcast. Switch gears a little bit. Sure. So you talk to people with advanced liberal arts degrees, as you said, they want to 
or are, I suppose, working outside of their field. And you mentioned you don't have any career coaching or certifications. Tell me about the conversations that you actually have with these folks then. Yeah, absolutely. And just to clarify, so the guests have all made that transition from mm-hmm. the their degree to different work. The audience, I'm hoping, are people who are stuck in here and trying to find Oh, I see. So they're advice. helping. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to sound like a complete nerd, which is fine because I am, but there's so much fun and they're so fascinating, mm-hmm. these discussions that I have. And I hope to God, they're at least mildly interesting to someone out there, but basically have the guest on and we talk a bit about what they're doing now. And then we go into their grad school program and what they were feeling at the end and their winding road to their current work. And I make sure that in each episode, we have plenty of times for kind of reflection, talking about what they learned about themselves, about what transferable skills, even a bit philosophical, like what do they like about their work and how important is work to them? What role does work play in their lives? And I get so many different answers. Some people have to love their work and it's a joy to do it for 50, 60 hours. Others are like you'd imagine on the other end of the spectrum, like, I like it. It's fine. It gives me the time to do it in 40 hours and then do this reading or writing or other hobby that I have. And there are a lot that are pretty in the middle, like that really emphasize, like, it's enjoyable. I work with good people. Sometimes I work more than I like to, but it's much better than what I did. I can't just have a job where I'm bored. I have to have some interest in it. We go through the the A to Z or maybe the timeline would be a better analogy of the grad school program to where they are now with, like I said, ample opportunity to reflect on the learnings and the place that work plays in their life. And then in that same vein, the people that you are talking to on this podcast, so they are in the transition period, they have work outside of their fields. What roadblocks, misconceptions, everything did they face? Very similar to to probably a lot of your listeners. They didn't have most, like one or two have gotten MBAs later, but the vast majority have not gotten a business degree or something that specialized. So they faced the similar roadblocks and some people, the unrelated PhD or master's is unfairly a red flag on a resume. Some people have actually removed it. So they do face more of those roadblocks. For example, for me, on my resume, it's MA writing and publishing. And I've been pretty fortunate. That's a pretty broad degree, at least in appearance. And most employers aren't going to be like, we don't want a good writer. Who, who would think that? Some of, One of my guests is a PhD in literature. And that's like the misconceptions that employers have is like, oh God, this person is going to take forever. They're going to read into every little thing I say and write. Their prose is going to be so lofty and <laughs> convoluted. They come with those unfortunate misconceptions. So how a lot of people guess deal with this is they don't take traditional paths. They're, like I said earlier, they're not applying online or very few of them are. They're capitalizing on skills they took as a random internship or like one of my guests was a master's in jazz studies who 
got back into web design and coding, which was his high school pastime and did it a bit on the side in college to, to help make ends meet. Some people might have the goal of, I want to work for a larger corporation, but they know that they won't be in their mind qualified. So they start working for nonprofits or then smaller companies. So they have those progressions. Like I mentioned earlier, they're networking, they're leaning on adjacent or past skills. They're taking maybe one or two jobs that aren't the ideal before they feel like they, not just feel, before they're the prospective employers that they're really interested in are ready for them. And they're learning along the way. They're learning on the job. They're learning outside of the job. I think it's fair to say most of my guests put quite a bit of effort into their careers. Like I'll be honest, it's nights, weekends, not all of them. They do, <coughs> excuse me, they do make sacrifices with their time. And the vast majority of them seem to think that's been worth it. But also too, the ones who were in academia, they're so used to working every minute of their life that it's a breeze to them once they get into the corporate world in some respects, but it feels like much less time devoted to work than the always on professorship. I can only imagine. Are they ever daunted in the middle of all of that, like roundabout way to get to a career, right? Like they're putting in this extra time. They're not applying online. They're contacting people to talk to. They are like trying to get in the back door, it feels like. Interesting question. Or for the majority, it's a discovery process. So maybe one or two have had, this is the exact position I want at this type of company and taken, you know, A, B, and C to get to D, but most are learning and discovering along the way. And they do good work and they get this opportunity. I had one guest, his name is Anthony Shenuda. He was a PhD and I believe it was cultural anthropology. He taught for a few years after and for a variety of reasons decided it wasn't for him. And then he became a minister, isn't the right word, but he was ordained in the Coptic Christian church and led a congregation for a few years. And then he and his wife felt like they had some theological change of hearts. I can't remember the details and I don't want to get, I don't want to mis misconstrue anything, but they left the Coptic church to join the Eastern Orthodox church. And he was out of a job. Like they, they weren't in communion might be the term, and I'm apolog I apologize for forgetting the language, but essentially, like, he couldn't transfer to that church. So he was just trying to figure things out, and he was working as a cashier at an REI, and he saw someone from the corporate office there that had a little booth and was asking people questions, and he, on his lunch break, walked up to her and said, hey, what are you doing? This seems interesting. And it was in customer experience and she talked to him and she discovered that he had this. She's like, oh, people in your discipline, they are, they not often, but a lot of them do move into customer experience and user experience. And now he's, he might've been promoted since I 
I had him on the show, but he's been a user experience researcher and he was recently promoted at HubSpot. And it was all because Place right time. At that, yes, but he took that initiative to mm-hmm. talk to the person that seemed to be doing something intriguing versus just going to the break area and being like, eh, I don't want to bother them or whatever internal roadblocks that we may put up. So mm-hmm. for someone like that, you would think, wow, he did so many things to get to that UX career. But to him, he when he joined the Coptic Church as someone leading a congregation, he thought it was for life, as yeah. he did when he was teaching. He thought that was for life, and they just didn't turn out to be those things. Now, when I asked him, is this for life? He's like, I don't think about work that way anymore. So I know that we weren't quite talking about lifelong careers, but just the idea that a lot of guests aren't, they don't have this, like they have plans, but it's not like a 10 year plan. They're doing something new and learning. So they definitely have had their frustrating moments, but it doesn't seem like this kind of Byzantine maze to get from where they are to this dream job for the most part. Yeah, that really resonates. I started out in the tech industry as the office dog walker for a tech startup in Seattle. And that was seven-ish years ago. And I loved the atmosphere so much and what the company was doing that I literally walked up to the CFO and I asked her if they needed somebody on their customer experience team because I didn't have any other qualifications at the time. I was a barista and a walker, a dog walker, which I loved. I loved being a barista, but the trajectory for growth there is a little bit more limited than tech. (laughs) So I hounded them for a job, but that move really is the catalyst for why I'm where I am with the bigger tech company and stolen product. It's crazy how things happen that way. And yeah, in the midst of it, I also wasn't like, this is taking so long. It's just, this is exciting. This is exciting. What can I do here? So yeah, that really makes sense. So what are the steps that people can take we can just go ahead and wrap this up with a nice little Jesseism here. What are steps people can take to gain the confidence and the understanding in their abilities so they do feel ready to apply for these jobs that they're not qualified for? Yeah, there's the old saying, don't wait for motivation, just start and the motivation will come. I think that same mindset applies to confidence. I don't really know of exercises or things to make you feel more confident. I think you just start applying to the things, you start asking for the conversations and there will be some, there will likely be some discomfort, maybe a little anxiety, almost certainly some awkwardness, but that's how you're going to get better. And that's fine. That's how we all learn. So I would say, again, just start. As far as things like understanding your abilities, what of the things that I found most helpful that I borrowed from a book called Unique Ability is emailing old friends, employers, professors, people that you've known throughout your life that you maybe done some work with or built some projects and ask them, like, what do you think is my unique ability? What do I do really well? Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you just say, what is my unique ability? That puts them in a pretty hard spot. A little know, awkward, like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not like it's my job to divine what makes Jesse unique. No, it's certainly not. If you just ask, what are what did you notice about how I do things, or do 
do I do anything a little bit differently or do I do anything particularly? You're not looking for negatives. Like you're really trying to see, you know, common patterns come up. Maybe for me, when I did this, it was, I was very inquisitive. I had a lot of follow through, excellent writer, strategic. So I saw those in a number of things and that I think can really help to not just in what you should do, but how to make whatever you end up doing a bit more satisfying. If, you know, learning is important to you. You might not be a re- like researching medieval French peasants or something like your PhD was in, but there are plenty of jobs where you can research. And even if you don't have a quote unquote research jobs job, excuse me, you can just make yourself that person. Jesse, I'm going to talk to him because I know that he really keeps up on these trends and he just knows what the latest thinking is on whatever back front to back. So you can make that niche for yourself too. So that would be my second piece of advice there. That's a really good advice. And if your niches don't fully encompass all of your desires out of what you want to make of yourself, you can always start a podcast. You can start, exactly. <laughs> you can talk about all that stuff on the podcast. Satisfi- it satisfies the creative sphere at least. And really you can make it about anything. Yeah, I would say with my podcast too, we talked about the not having career counseling certifications. I don't do any career counseling. I just Uh ask people questions. I never have had an episode where I'm just like, here is Jesse Butts's advice for an hour. Uh I knew that I just didn't have that, but I knew that I could have good conversations with people and get something out of those that a lot of other people can't. So that was my way to help people was like, I can't give you this path that's different for everybody, but here, listen to a few conversations of people who've been in similar situations to you, and I hope it helps. Absolutely. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, my podcast, The Work Seminar, is on all the podcast players, also at theworkseminar.com. You can find me at jessebutts.com, or I'm also on LinkedIn fairly often, so feel free to, to contact me at either. Great. And you have... 30 episodes. Is that right? And season two just wrapped. Yes. And season three will start early this fall. Great. So there's a nice catalog to listen while we're waiting for season three. Jesse, thank you so much for being here and lending your time. I know you're in the central time zone, so it's a little bit later there. So I really appreciate the time. Late nights are sacred um, (laughs) these days. But yeah, thank you. It was really wonderful conversation. And I wish you all the luck with your podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Welcome to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for reaching the end. Stoked that you're here. This conversation was awesome. I definitely, I learned some things about my own expectations, I think, as a millennial. And I will gladly recap it for... A long time, I was a little bit angry that I had to dedicate time outside of work to grow my career, and we did touch on this in the episode, and as I did say that there is a fine balance, and we'll talk about that in just a second again, but if you are really honing for a certain career advancement move, you really want to learn something different to pivot or to advance, Sometimes it just takes some time outside of work to learn those new skills. So you might need to devote your 40 hours and then devote another 10 hours a week, maybe outside, learning that new skill to then apply to 
your career growth. Sometimes that's just what we have to do. We're adults now. So please take that to heart. If you feel a little stuck, make a little bit of extra time with the current responsibilities that you have, uh, dog, family, significant other, children, maybe a second job, couple hours here and there to develop block off in your calendar and work through whatever it is that you want to learn. It might just nudge the needle there and you might be surprised at where it leads you. Something that I've adopted through the years begrudgingly, but I think after this conversation, take it on more as the just the the cost of learning and the cost of self-development and you can even make it fun maybe take an online course or something that's free that makes it a little bit more even like gamified or something but on the other side of that coin as we said there are times where you have a gut feeling that the trajectory you're on in the current job or your current position might not be for you because you are missing too much of what it is that's driving your career towards the direction that you want it to go. So there is something to say of, hey, I have this idea of this direction that I want my career to go, but I am a little bit duck and I would love to do more of this work and if there's pushback and it just it feels way too far off the track don't be afraid to advocate for yourself before it gets the three the four the five the six year down the line where you are still on that track and far away from your career goal it's okay to advocate for yourself and still expect your role to serve your growth it's a balance. I cannot tell you the exact recipe of it. I'm still honing it myself, but you'll know it when you feel it and just honor that feeling, sit in it for a little bit, uh, maybe consult a friend or a professional on it to see if, especially if you're very set on a career direction and they could probably help you get more on that track. But I really hope that you had some, some good material that you could take away and something that resonated with you from this episode. I believe strongly that Jesse was a very pivotal person to have on the podcast at this time. This is a a pretty crucial time. I think after the Great Resignation, people are coming back and really understanding that what they want and what they desire, be it even outside of a career, is so important. There is this almost awakening, I would think, in a corporate setting and non-corporate setting where people are like, hmm, this doesn't really serve me. And I really know what I want to do and I'm going to go and do that thing. And I'm going to do it with or without the thing that I'm invested in right now because it doesn't serve me. And that's, that is a-okay. It's also okay to not burn bridges. So don't, just keep that in mind. Don't go about it in a way that hurt others or hurt yourself in the future through the process. But absolutely keep yourself in mind and don't give up on your dreams. And also all the way back to Jesse's podcast, if you have a very specific degree in something, don't feel stuck. It's okay to pivot outside of that. 
And one thing I absolutely love that he said is don't just apply for the job. Reach out to people on LinkedIn, get people that are already in the position in the company that you are gunning for and talk to them. Get your yourself in their way. Put yourself in their way and help them do their job because one, they'll probably really remember it because they'll appreciate it. And two, it it betters your chances and it helps you be much more involved in the process. And you might meet a friend in the process or you even better might have a new job because of it. So don't stick to the traditional path of trying to get a job. This is uh, 2022 and we do shit a little bit differently around here now. So have at it. A little piece of trivia for you here. I was really curious how long people stay in their jobs lately after all of this talk. And statistically, people stay in their job for a median of 4.1 years. So that is a decrease from January 2018. So in January 2018, people stayed in 4.2 years on a mean. And then in January of 2020, they stayed in their jobs 4.1 years. And I couldn't find the data for honestly, like literally after March of 2020. And I don't even know if they would segment it out from layoffs from the pandemic or anything, but I'm so interested to see if anybody has that data in terms of how much the mean has gone down from 4.1 years since the pandemic, especially after the great resignation and massive layoffs that a lot of companies saw. I'm so curious, where is that number now? Maybe we'll never know until another five years from now when we can actually study the data. But anyways, thank you for being here. I will link where to find me in the show notes, where to find Jesse in the show notes. I am still so excited that you're here. I can't believe you guys gave me the time, but thank you so much for giving me the time. And I will see you on Tuesday. All right, bye.